Spack Insider Podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will speak to Will Marshall, co-founder and CEO of Planet. Planet announced a $2.3 billion business combination with DMY Technology Group 4 in July. Planet provides data services to a raft of industries powered by its fleet of 200 satellites that generate a complete image of the Earth's surface every day. We discuss how the private space sector is maturing and how everyone from journalists to farmers to hedge funds are using its solutions. DMY4 CEO Niccolò Damasi also joins us to discuss the SPAC side of the transaction and why he has been eager to get a deal done with Planet since his first DMY SPAC. Take a listen. All right, so Will, we've seen many companies finding new ways to use satellite imaging and data, but it seems like the applications just keep growing a number. And I want to get into a bunch of them, but it seems like a great place to start is how Planet Services were key in the reporting that was just awarded a Pulitzer Prize. Could you walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so in general, Planet, Planet has 200 satellites that image the, the entire landmass of the Earth once per day. And it and it uncovers all sorts of hidden treasures. And uh, we, we, we do work with journalists. And in this case, uh, some journalists from BuzzFeed had uh, used our data um, to look for Uyghur detention camps. That's the Muslim detention camps in Western China. And uh, the Baidu maps, that in it, the Google equivalent in China, had actually blocked out some areas. It was actually a lot of areas, like more than a million. But amongst them, when they looked in our imagery of the same area, of course, we don't we don't block out any areas. They they could find these detention camps. And um, so one or two had been discovered by journalists on the ground. They extrapolated this to find 200 Uyghur detention camps or potential detention camps. It's not 100 percent confirmed, but it's mostly understood across Western China. It's a big deal for human rights. And and the broader message and theme is that we're shedding light on everything that's going on around the planet. It's a new era of transparency with implications that I think are very positive for peace and security. We aren't going to allow countries to just hide anymore. So that's perhaps a micro usage of Planet's technology, but on the macro, Planet addresses two multi-trillion dollar economic shifts. Uh, the digital transformation totaling approximately 100 trillion, and then ESG, which is worth uh, about 53 trillion. So how does Planet play into those two sectors? Yes, so, so look, Planet has, uh, with its 200 satellites, it collects information about the Earth, and that information paired with uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning that we put on top of it to extract out features and, uh, and identify objects are the data that empower uh, companies um, across the globe to uh, to make efficient, more efficiencies like that. And that's what uh, the digital transformation means. It means uh, big sectors like agriculture using our data to improve crop yields by 20 or 40%. And that's across a trillion dollar industry um, that, that that sort of savings is huge. And they can also reduce fertilizer use, increase yields, so basically increase profits. Um, and if agricultural companies don't do that, they're going to be left behind. And so that's digital transformation. And that applies to a lot of sectors, transportation, energy, um, insurance, government. And then the sustainability transformation, and I just came from the COP26 uh, conference in Glasgow, where, of course, this is the topic du jour of all the world leaders, is 
all about how we transition to a sustainable economy. And that's both, um, both on the government side, measuring emissions, measuring natural capital, protecting park systems, and on the company side, measuring ESG uh, um, targets. After companies and countries set their goals, the very first step in getting to that is measurement. How are we doing and where are we going? And otherwise, no one's going to have any accountability on it. So countries need it, companies need it, pretty much every country and pretty much every company needs our data to figure out how they're doing against sustainability goals. So the data is what powers these transition. Um, you know, the economists quipped that data is the new oil. And there's some limitations to that analogy. Uh, obviously, I hope that oil, uh, data in particular is not as dirty as oil, but there's some good aspects of it too, because like oil, data powers lots of different industries. And like oil, you have to refine it first before it becomes useful. But data is powering everything these days, just like oil is or was powering all these different industries. And so data is what powers it. You, I'll note that Google, has uh, open sourced a lot of its algorithms, a lot of its artificial intelligence algorithms that we employ on our data, by the way, because same things for recognizing dogs and cats on pictures online can be used for recognizing objects in our imagery, roads and buildings and ships and planes. It's the same underlying technology. So we leverage that. But Google, you'll notice, open sources all of their AI algorithms. They don't open source any of their data. And that's for a reason. The value proposition that Google has is their data. The same with us. Uh, we're a data company that's powering these two major transitions that you just uh, mentioned. And how are customers utilizing your data outside of sustainability? What are some applications that the average listener might not have heard of? Well, let me, uh, you know, I already mentioned agriculture. In every three by three meter area with our spectral bands, we can actually tell crop type and crop yield. And that enables the farmer to determine where to put fertilizer in the field, where to, um, where there might be blight that needs attending, crop health, and then when to harvest. Again, this is all leads to what we call precision agriculture or digital agriculture, improving top yields by 20 to 40%. So you may not know this, but some of the food that goes on your palate uses our data to improve uh, the yield that, that enables that. More closer to home, how um, your listeners uh, out there might, might uh, actually use this, but may not know, maps online. So Google uses our data to update the maps that you see online thousands and thousands of times every month. So like whenever they see a road or a building out of date or somehow they get some signal, they send an automatic task request to our satellite. It takes a picture of that area. It automatically recognizes that new road or building, and then they update the maps that you see online so that your directions stay up to date. Uh, it's incredible, a sophisticated process, but that's how your Google Maps stay up to date that you use for your directions. Another way you might uh, notice but have not realized is that in the press, um, uh, like we were just talking about the Uyghur detention camps, Actually, that happens all the time. There's news articles that the, the journalists say, hey, uh, what's happening here? Um, what's happening there? Well, uh, we help provide imagery to those sort of organizations so that they can shed light. Pictures paint a thousand words and it helps people to understand, oh, it's not just a flooding or that earthquake or uh, that um, refugee camp. Here's a picture of it so people can understand it in context. And then finally, and if unfortunately you're ever caught in a disaster situation, our data is being used to help those disaster responders. So, for example, in Germany recently, there was unprecedented flies, the, uh, floods, sorry, the biggest floods that have ever happened in the country for in the last 60 years. And 
Our data was used for, for, by the first responders. Right? Which bridge is down, which is not? We could compare today's image with yesterday's image and help them do, do the immediate relief. Also helping them with the planning. Uh, we've also done that with fires here in California where this, uh, planet is based. Uh, we help Plumas County and other counties in California with the Dixie fire and other fires in the recent fire season. We can help the fire responders. Where's the fire? Where's the uh, smoke blowing? And also have the data to help them inform where to do the fire prevention work so that we can reduce the probability of future mega fires. So civil government is another user. They buy our data and then you all benefit in the public through the, uh, the fact that this is helping those emergency response. Here's a, there's a couple of examples. Yeah, that's fascinating. Satellite companies have been popular among SPACs over the past year, and those that have already completed their DSPAC processes have been warmly received by the market. But there's a lot of differentiation between companies. One of those is scale. I mean, could you talk a bit about, you mentioned how many satellites you have already at work, but how does that compare to the competitive field? Well, look, we have a, 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 um, a competition. Firstly, is a really great thing. I mean, we very, very much welcome it. Um, Planet um, is unique in a couple of ways. One is that we have a lot more Earth imaging satellites than anyone else, um, more than 10 times anyone else. Uh, but, but particularly important is our scanning system. So we have something that no, no other company has, which is this 180 of our 200 satellites do a daily scan of the whole Earth. They're not tasked to a specific location. All the other earth imaging companies, you say, I want a picture of Los Angeles or I want a picture of Tokyo and they'll take a picture of that and then give it to you. We have so many satellites that we can scan every place. So we automatically scan LA and Tokyo, but we also scan everywhere else in every country every day. And then if you're a customer, you come to us and say, oh, I want that area. And we say, well, we've already got it. Here it is. And we clip it up and ship it to you, okay? That is important for a couple of reasons. Firstly, the wide scale change gets at large scale activity. Agriculture is 25% of the landmass of the earth. You can't do that with a point and shoot satellite system. You can only do that if you do the scan. Forestry, similarly. Uh, maritime, similarly, that a lot of countries are monitoring there for illegal fishing and things like this. And so that's, that's one benefit of that. It's so it opens up new vertical markets and no other uh, players have that scanning system. The second benefit of that is that you can sell each image to multiple users. And that means that the incremental costs are really low, right? When we sell an image to a second user, the direct margins are very, very um, high. So we definitely have the largest data set. Overall, we collect about 100 times the area of any other Earth imaging company. And so that just gives you a bit of a sense of, of differentiation there. So uh, all the others combined, I think, are less than a tenth of, uh, of what we produce at this point. So we're a little bit further along in maturity than at least the newer space uh, companies. Right. And to that point, Nicola, I mean, I'm sure you were looking at, uh, at multiple companies uh, potentially in this space. And so what were some of those attributes of both in terms of you know, technical um, quality and, and scale that, that stood out to you? I think Will is a remarkably humble man for what he's achieved and the business has achieved. Right. Um, <laughs> numbers like I'm not kidding. Numbers like I think we're 100 times more than the next biggest competitor you know, roll, roll off the tongue, but people like don't usually stop and digest what we're saying, right? If you look at any other industry, right? What Will is saying is we're the Tesla of the space, we're the Apple of the space. You're comparing Tesla, in my opinion, with other competitors who are like an EV startup in my back garage, right? 
factor of 100 is a big number, right? A factor of, you know, 10 or 20 times more satellites, it's a big number. You know, Will's been collecting data with Planet for almost a decade. I think it's something like more than 30 petabytes of Earth data in their repository that they can sell and track Earth transformation through. Um, you know, there's two halves of this business that are often not as well, I think, digested by some, some members of the investing community. And if you just separate his business into the Earth scan, which no one in the world can do, right? By a factor of 100, no one can do it. So Planet is a monopolist for about 75% of their revenue, right? And that's a cloud data business that's growing quickly, high margins. With, with we, we think at DMY that there's nobody even five years behind them. There's probably people that are seven years behind them, 10 years behind them. Then there's his Zooming business, which is a minority of revenues, but Will's Zooming business alone is bigger than most people's Zooming business, <laughs> right? It's just that it's dwarfed by the total revenue because this is a nine-figure revenue company. It's not a seven or eight-figure revenue company like a lot of the competitors are. I mean, Will has built a business that sells to over 700 customers. It's a diversified global customer base. This is not a, we sell to three-letter agencies. That's all we do. It's a data company, right? It's not a satellite tasking business, not a professional services business. And he's also very humble about the fact that like Apple, he's serious about software to the tune of building his own hardware. And that's just an amazing advantage, right? You know, DMY was struck in diligence across the whole landscape of the fact that only Planet controls the whole value chain from hardware to software to AI to subscription data. Everybody else does pieces of it. <laughs> and everybody else, you know, likes to win government contracts, but Will's making most of his money from private industry. And there's just this massive opportunity to keep democratizing Earth data that I know he's passionate about, whilst we're also doing good. Like he's a great business and he's doing good, you know, literally for planet Earth. And as this market grows, what do you guys see as being the most challenging aspects of reaching your goals? Would you say it's more launch availability, technological constraints, or perhaps something else? Well, I, I mean, we've largely retired the technical risk. Uh, we've got the 200 satellites up that we wanted to to, to both scan the Earth and, and per Nicola's point, uh, do the second, which is a tasking fleet that can do up to 12 images per day of any particular location at high resolution. That system is technologically retired. So all the imaging processing steps that enable it to be useful for people, the, the images are what we call analytics ready so or machine learning ready ready for the machine learning to go on top of them what i would say the biggest rate limitation on our growth right the second is simply boots on the ground so part of the reason we're going public is to have more capital to put uh, behind uh, sales and marketing uh, efforts to uh, to go after we've got a big uh, pipeline of opportunities it's uh, it grew 45 percent year on year and we uh, just um, have an explosion of opportunities. Last year, the number we had 21 uh, sales reps, uh, and we did just over 100 million in revenue. But we really, as one of our advisors recently said, "Well, why don't you have 100 sales reps? You should have 100 at least." You know, like we just need more boots on the ground around the world, helping uh, connect this to to users that are interested and and see value in it. And so we've got to do that. Also, the second thing that we're, we're using the capital for, just so you know, is, is building software to go up the stack. And uh, um, so 
we're, we're servicing those customers that I mentioned, like agriculture, like the big ag companies, mapping, like Google, civil government for disaster response, defense and intelligence um, for security, uh, border security, things like this. Um, but there's a number of other vertical markets we can go into, insurance, finance, energy, a bunch of others, but they require a bit more information. So for example, in finance, I think we've got a huge amount of alpha on a lot of commodities. We know the soy yield of the world before anyone else. We know the output from all the world's copper mines before anyone else. However, the hedge funds don't want just pretty pictures, even analytics ready pictures. They want time series analysis uh, 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 of data that flows into their workflows. Well, that's what we're building, but that takes software to go up the stack to enable those kind of users. And then just going off of that on the software side, how much of the evolution of your products has come internally and how much has been spurred by customers asking for your specific capabilities? Well, out of the gates, we built a system that uh, no one asked for, uh, the scan of the earth. If you, you know, didn't exist before Planet and uh, we said, it's more like in the Steve Jobs uh, mode. No one asked for the iPhone and no one asked for an iPad, but when they got it, they were jolly happy with it you know like um well the same is true of our scan no one asked for a daily scan of the whole earth but we, we but we thought a priori about why that would be useful to agricultural companies as like i mentioned like 25 percent of the landmass of the earth surely they want to know how their crops are doing and improve their crop yield um forestry same for forest management and so on and these no one was able to service them before and um uh, there are um so so it was it's but now Having built that system, we are listening to the customers much more about the details. So they're saying, well, can we just add this spectral band that would make it more useful? Or can you just add this analytics software piece that would enable it? Um, like in the case of agriculture, there's an index called the NDVI, which they really like, which is ratioing of different spectral bands that enables us you to pull out crop yield, basically, or biomass. And so we added that to help those customers, right? So we are we're very much listening to what the customers need there. But there's an, always a mix between building what we know that they want versus what they immediately are asking for. Interesting. And so just to talk about risks a little bit, I mean, with all of these next generation satellites going into orbit, is it getting crowded up there now that the barriers to entry to the cosmos are getting lower? Are, are there any risks uh, associated with any of that? Um, so firstly, space debris is a real problem, and we are seeing rises in that. Uh, but we keep our satellites really low and out of the way. This is a problem I concerned myself with some for some years when I was at NASA. I spent a couple of years uh, doing research in that area, uh, publishing papers and methods to reduce that problem. And just like climate change here on the Earth, the quicker you nip it in the bud, the better. So we do have a challenge. We're staying out of the way. Um, but um, but it, 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 you know, for now, there's no immediate reasons to not put up more satellites. The main challenge is the debris itself and how to get rid of that debris. Um, it's not the satellites. There's only about 3,000 satellites in orbit. There's about 100 million pieces of space debris. And so it's more about managing those. And uh, um, the biggest challenges there are satellites that accidentally explode with because they have extra fuel or countries occasionally blowing up satellites. Either way, they cause a lot of pieces, not just one or two satellites, like thousands and thousands of pieces. And that's what dominates the debris environment is when those things happen, as opposed to the constellations of satellites. 
And then just diving into your satellites, um, what, what is the average lifetime of your satellites and what would the cost difference be if Planet used drones instead of satellites? I mean, do you guys view drones as competitors? So our satellite, the, the Dove fleet that does the scan, they, we have a design life of about three years. They typically last about five years, but we have a design life for three years. Just like you don't want a three-year-old phone in your back pocket, you don't want a three-year-old satellite in space, they constantly get better with miniaturization of sensors, miniaturization of hard drives and other compute power going up. We want to leverage that by putting the latest technology. So every iteration, every, we've had on average four launches a year for the last five years. So 20 rockets over four years. And uh, each time we put the next generation of satellite, we swap out the hard drive to be a bigger hard drive. We swap out the sensor to go from a 29 megapixel camera to a 47 megapixel camera. We want to swap out the um, radios to go from 300 megabits a second to 1.6 gigabits a second. These are examples of two things we did last year to improve our satellites. So that those are the kind of improvements we make every year to make our satellites better and better so they can collect more and more information per unit dollar spent on them. And so that we find, uh, so three to five year life is about right. And then on our slightly bigger satellites, the one we, that we bought from Google, they have a design lifetime of about five years, although we find them typically last more than seven years. And so uh, on those, we replace on that sort of time frame a little bit longer just because they cost a little bit more on your se second question about drones I, I think that they're complementary if anything but not really competitive because satellites do something unique i mean it you know you, you just can't cover that kind of ground with a with a drone so if the resolution is sufficient like in it is in agriculture for most agriculture purposes it's about a hundred times lower cost to use satellites than it is to use drones. You might think, oh, it's cheaper to put up the drone. Yeah, it may only cost a few hundred dollars every time you put it up because you have to buy this drone or you put it up or you have to pay someone to fly it. The uh, cost of the satellites per unit area is much, much lower, even though it's more cost to put up the, the satellite in the first place because they go at eight kilometers a second. So they co cover vast areas of land. Like each of our satellite covers, covers an area about I think about twice the area of California every day. So you you know try covering that with drones. <laughs> you take you know thousands and thousands or millions even of drones to cover that kind of area. So our satellites are very good at sweeping out territory, and that's the that's the massive advantage of satellites. They're going at thirty six thousand miles an hour. Try flying a drone like that speed. So since Google was part of the pipe and an early investor, would you be able to tell us a bit more about your relationship with them? Sure. Google had invested in a satellite arm um, that was supplying their maps. And we bought those satellites from Google in exchange uh, where they also still buy that data for the maps. And I mentioned the use case there to keep the maps up to date. In addition, uh, through that transaction, they became an investor. Finally, we do store our data on Google Cloud. And that's mainly because of the fantastic machine learning tools that they have embedded in that infrastructure. Then recently, we just came out with a, a new part, a fourth part of our relationship, if you like, which is around um, uh, going to market together. So. Uh, in particular with Google Cloud. So we are our data and their compute serves particular industry vertical markets like agriculture, like sustainable supply chain tracking that can and that, 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 that each component is more than some of its parts. And we go to market with their capabilities, they go to market with ours, it taps into their 
um, their bigger um, uh, sales force and and it's a feather in their cap because they get to say, oh, we've got the best satellite data on our system. And so it's a win-win. Great. And so moving to the SPAC side of things, you know, why, Will, did you ultimately opt for a SPAC path to public markets rather than a traditional IPO? And how much did the sort of past SPAC deals we've seen in, in this space over the past year play into that decision? Well, firstly, uh, the most important thing we were thinking about is whether to go public at all, not, not which is the mechanism. The first decision is, when and how to go public and and and, and we were ready uh, planet was ready we had a, we had retired the risk on the satellites you know we had the 200 satellites up we we're ready to go on the technical sense we had product to market fit and we had a scaled business over 100 million in revenue last year so we were like okay we're ready and that was at the beginning of this year and then and we've been preparing for that for some years Right. Um, I've had a CFO um, uh, now for um, almost two years who's been the CFO of a public company. We've got a board that's public company ready. We've got executives that are public company ready. We've done we've we built a company that's public ready. The second factor is that we felt the pull from the market. So and I don't mean the the uh, um, the market in terms of the SPAC market or the IPO market. I mean, in terms of the customers. We were filling the pull. We weren't quite sure going into COVID lockdown what was going to happen, but it meant more people couldn't go and go to their uh, go and do that site inspection that they normally do, or couldn't test that environmentally sensitive uh, system. So they still use satellites instead. So it sped up the transition a bit, like it was a it sped up Zoom, not quite that extreme, but it sped up. And then there's this big transition to sustainability. The whole economy is going. Let's let's move to a sustainable economy companies and businesses as well as countries and planet is the key to that it's like it's not just a side matter it's pretty much critical to these companies and governments doing that transition so we're feeling that pull um and so and to, and and because of that we think it's time to step on the gas and uh, then to the specific mechanism well we thought SPACs were an efficient mechanism and i met uh, nicolo and his partner harry um and i thought they really understood our business could help us to that with those early foray onto a public market and and uh, so i f felt like it was a good match they saw the full value proposition of the company as a data company not a satellite company a data company with all those um uh, the help to transition the digital transformation and the sustainability transformation and um they saw us as completely relevant to sustainability which i think you know the public markets are really keen on supporting because uh, consumers really care about it um, and uh, public investors are starting to care about it a lot as well. So the summary is Planet was ready to go public and 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 the world uh, needed Planet. Well, and, and for Niccolo, I mean, we've talked about how Planet stacks up against some of its competitors already a little bit, but just sort of in general, as you look over the space, what do you think are the most important financial metrics that are at play when you're comparing Planet to uh, some of these other companies that are out there and that are now listed players? Look, we, we've been in love with Planet's business since my, my first back, believe it or not. Um, and I've always thought the business is, you know, really one of a kind. And it's one of a kind because it's, it's the ultimate thing behind the thing of pretty much, I think, the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000. I think everyone is going to be a customer of Planet. I think every friendly government, state, local, federal will be a, will, will be a customer. You know, Will's assembled an amazing team. You know, he's got Kevin Wheel, who led product for Instagram and Twitter also, uh, you know, running products here. And, you know, I can see in the coming years how this will be a household name company. 
right? You know, consumers will know it as a household name, enterprise will know it as a household name. Um, it's just so important to where everybody needs to take their business. And his ability to be a one-to-many data company means that he can he can move the price point to a disrupting position kind of every year means that I think that I personally think Planet is going to is going to suck the oxygen out of the category, to be blunt. Um, that was our conclusion as we looked at the, the this business and the landscape was, you know, the history of technology companies is very clear. Um, you know, a one-year coding advantage at most SaaS companies can be pretty fatal, right? If you're a year behind, the chances that you're two years behind, <laughs> three years from today is quite high. Planet, I mean, again, the numbers are astonishing, right? We're five to seven years ahead on the Earth scan, you know, a hundred times the coverage, 10 times the satellite. I mean, these are really big advantages, right? Um, and so we view Planet as the 800 pound gorilla of the space. I believe that this uniquely powerful vertical integration means that Will and team can turn ideas and thought into reality faster than anybody else in the world. They've shown that for the better part of a decade, right? Because they're doing a house. And that means that we expect their lead will increase. So, you know, I think this is a winner takes most business, not quite winner takes all, but it heads in that direction over time. This business now has, you know, the capitalization to grow the software team faster, the sales team faster. I mean, you know, Will's modest, like they only process inbounds basically. And they're the biggest company in the category. Like wait, <laughs> wait till we can process some outbounds, you know, kind of thing. Right. So I, I think this business is the ultimate price giver. Um, and that's something DMY looks for. You know, they have proprietary data they capture every day and they provide on a subscription basis. It's like a Bloomberg terminal where it's the only person that has the stock tickers. How valuable is that, <laughs> right? Like you pay for that no matter what, whether or not there's inflation, there's recession, there's shelter in place, there's COVID, there's a booming economy. Like we view this as an ultimate all weather company, right? Yeah. Um, and they've gotten this far on relatively modest amounts of capital, which leaves us confident that this big step up in capital is going to be spent with an exceptionally high return. Yeah, if I can just add on to the, the point about the Bloomberg tunnel, I think that's a really great way of thinking about Planet. So a lot of people think about Planet and go to the satellites, and that's true. We, of course, do do the satellites, and, and in many ways is our forte. We've invented this agile aerospace to go faster and faster. But the, what the user sees is a Bloomberg-like terminal. It's, it's an interface to see our data and set up bespoke information feeds, whether you're an ag company or a country or whatever, you're set, setting up information feeds. This area of interest, give me alerts, give me just if there's roads or new buildings or these sort of things. And you send that into your decision-making process. It's just like Bloomberg, except per Nicolo's point, Bloomberg mainly aggregates public source financial data into a great platform that people use. We generate that data using our own proprietary fleet of satellites and the other difference is that it's relevant to a lot of different vertical markets not just relevant for finance it's relevant for insurance energy agriculture civil government and so on so it, i think of it as bloomberg plus plus um i love the bloomberg model it is a data business we're a data business and it's high growth high margins high stickiness and all that and we're the same because um, of exactly the same uh, reasons bloomberg does well and then what benefits do you see gaining from being a publicly listed company? And, and how do you plan to take advantage of those? Well, a couple of uh, obvious ones. One is the access to capital. Um, and uh, during this process, uh, we're, of course, raising a lot of capital, $250 million in a pipe led by 
BlackRock, um, with participation from CPP, Google, um, that you, as you mentioned, uh, Mark Benioff and his foundation, um, and, and, and a number of other really high quality investors. And then the, the, the trust, uh, of course, DMY, Niccolo, and all of the, the, the people that are in that trust. And uh, so it's capital that enables us to accelerate. And then the second is uh, the marketing. So, you know, um, Planet is, it, it at least should be known by all the people that could get value from it, all the ag companies, all of the uh, mapping companies, all of the civil governments, and most of them don't yet. And so we need to step up on a stage a little bit more, not, not for publicity's sake, but, but in order for all those companies uh, to hear about us if they're going to gain value from us. And so we, you know, there's both ex there's acceleration because of capital and acceleration because of the branding. Yeah, and I'll just add to that a couple of things. One, look, I think the visibility of the company, you know, heads towards that household name trajectory as a result of, you know, a great NYSE, uh, you know, listing day. I think the liquid currency gives Will the ability to roll up the space, right, and make acquisitions that you might want to bolt. I mean, we made one yesterday, or I think yesterday or two days ago uh, at this point, right? So they're demonstrating that this is a company that does what it says it's going to do. And then lastly, you know, it's a competitive talent market, right? And Planet has a unique mission-driven, uh, you know, public benefit corporation that underpins this, which is a hiring advantage, uh, particularly in things like data, AI, machine learning. But, you know, on some level, I think having liquid, you know, RSUs does, does help this company uh, attract and retain, no doubt about it. And then lastly, what's next for both this transaction and for Planet? Well, uh, so the, the we just announced shareholder vote will happen on the 3rd of December, shortly after we'll be listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So that's getting very real and exciting. Um, and uh, But it, then it's more generally, that's just a milestone in Planet's trajectory. It's back to business, right? It's building the products, going up the stack to enable uh, more and more users to get access to our data. We want to democratize access to it, empower users across our, and systematically go after all the vertical markets we've gone. Uh, so, so both on the product side and on the sales and marketing side, it's back to execution. And to end on looking just the slightly further horizon, um, you know, what do you see this space um, looking like and how this industry evolves over the medium term now that the, you know, as the competition shakes out and as the, you know, the technology improves, as you're, you know, you, you mentioned um, the satellites are getting better year by year. What are we looking at 15, 20 years from now? Well, look, there's a space renaissance going on and it's a very exciting time. You've seen new rockets, uh, SpaceX, uh, many nano rockets going up. Um, You've seen new satellite fleets. But actually, the exciting thing is less the rockets and the satellites, all the billionaires and their trips to space, like <laughs> Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson. That's such a distraction from what I think the biggest upshot of what's going on, which is a massive data revolution. And over the last five years, we've seen a more than 10x increase in the amount of data collected about our planet Earth. And that is what powers massive new industries here in the economy here and um, also in the sustainability transition to power those transitions, to power digital transformation and sustainable transformation of the global economy. Those are multi-trillion dollar issues. So space is not this far out thing. It's about helping us here on Earth in the Earth economy. It just gives us a unique vantage point to do that. I think we're going to see over that period 
um, there's a great, big green field of opportunities to go after different sorts of business. I think Planet is in a pole position to go after a lot of that. Um, but you know, you said earlier that space has got easy. Yes, in, in some senses it's got easier. But let me just tell you, to launch the largest fleet in human history, which we had to do when we set out, no one ever launched 100 satellites before. So, you know, it was a, you know, it was a, a new undertaking. We had to put these ground stations around the world and all the data processing and all of that. It was a very complex undertaking. I liken it to a minor Apollo project. This is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> Launch costs have come down a little bit. Uh, Miniaturization of electronics have made things in principle a bit easier. But this is not something that you know two people um, drop out of Stanford and and build, start building satellites in their garage. Sorry, that's just not how it's going to happen um, because these are really sophisticated devices um, uh, that, that take a lot of engineering complexity, what we call systems engineering complexity, and uh, so. I, I think it's really exciting, and uh, but but anyway, the biggest upshot is that it's a data revolution that this is empowering, not a not billionaires going to Mars. Will and I are both physicists, so I echo what he just said. This is they call it rocket science for a reason. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> it, it it is challenging, and the barriers to entry here are so dramatic. Right, if you just stand back, Will owns Google's attempt to do this themselves. Right, he bought he bought their their business. <laughs> That's Google. Like they have money and people and expertise. But this is a business with such challenging barriers to entry. When I say five to seven year lead, you know that's over everybody, including Google, if they wanted to try this. Right. And yeah. They, by the way, I wasn't trying to poke at, uh, fingers at Google because they, I guess, did drop <laughs> out of Stanford and start Google. I wasn't trying to specifically um, talk about them. No, I mean we love our partnership with Google, of course. I wouldn't say anything bad about it, but uh, but that's, that is. <laughs> in fact true that, that you know it's a very different sort of value proposition you have to really plan this out it takes systems engineering it's not like you can just iterate software with this it's uh it, we've taken that approach and called it agile uh, aerospace uh like agile software but it's actually much more uh complicated that uh, and the planning is quite sophisticated to get these satellites all to work together and um, with all the components the ground stations the mission control architectures and so on uh, as well as all the software stack that sits on top of that so it is quite complicated that's true you know in in the long term all tech markets historically you know kind of move from value in hardware to value in software they actually end up with value in data as the winner and so our our perspective is that all the value in the space category you know in the public markets it's going to be in the data i can assure all of us and all listeners, it's not in tourism. <laughs> tourism is never the profit generator people, you know, hope it is. It's a it's a vanity business. But data, you know, data is always what people have to pay for, can't live without. Every business on this earth will come to the point soon where they can't live and they can't compete without Will's data and Planet's business. Well, that is fascinating. And it's interesting how SPACs have played a role in essentially all stages of that, you know, with Virgin Galactic being, you know, a big spec deal that caught a lot of people's attention several years ago on the tourism question. And now we are already getting SPACs involved in the, the data question when it comes to space. So this is going to be a really fascinating deal to continue to watch. Um, we look forward to seeing everything that you guys accomplish in the next few years beyond December and, and into the cosmos. It was great to chat and look, we're excited about going public. I think, I think people are going to be 
uh, I, I'm excited for everyone to be able to buy Planet Shares. I think it's uh, it's going to be fun to have them on board uh, for this 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 ride. And I, I think I think people especially love the fact that we're helping sustainability in a real way. You know, it's not just a you know a, 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 um, greenwashing. Like we we really help that that drive, and a lot of people understand that. And it's a real business, and and that's not. Um, uh, the value proposition to the market is clear. So, you know, we're excited about going public. Thanks very much for the conversation. Thank you.